0: Uh, what's the patient telling us that they want done? But what's the what's the thing behind it? Oh, I need to fix my knee pain. Why do you need to fix your knee pain? Oh, because I want to play with my kids. There's a there's an agenda behind that. And there's so much to take into account because the more that we keep drilling down, there's the things that 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 the patient will tell us. There's the there's the things that are non-verbal that are present. There's things that they won't tell us. There's also this question of what change are they ready for. Hi everyone, welcome to Real Clinicians Real Chats, where we delve into the reality of clinical challenges. I'm Alex Murray.
1: And I'm Kit Wisdom.
0: And today, we're going to be talking about the patient encounter and this concept or this theme that's out there of meeting the patient or meeting them where they are. But before we Mm -hmm. dive right in, we get to do our mandatory plugs. If you like us, please follow us on social media, Real Clinicians Real Chats. We're going to be putting up uh, and announcing when our new episodes are live, or you can subscribe in wherever you are. Uh, listening to this podcast from. But before we start Hmm. chatting, how was your weekend, Kit?
1: Thanks for asking. Um, Mine was really interesting. I had mass exodus, exodus from my house, so no kids, no partner. I've had five days on my own, um... And I worked Thursday, Friday, but pretty much Saturday, Sunday, I spoke to no one. And it was so blissful. I was not responsible for anyone. I didn't have to make any decisions, really. Um, Didn't have to problem solve. Didn't have to listen. Um, Hung out with my dog. And it was really, really quite nourishing. How about you?
0: I had the complete opposite had the complete opposite. I went away with friends, which is always nice, Mm -hmm. especially people we don't, we don't see often. They're from Sydney. We're obviously in, in, in Canberra and, um, we all went to the snow. And Mm. so myself and my wife, we're avid skiers. Uh, we've been skiing every year since 2019, pretty consistently. Mm -hmm. And we're always skiing in the same place, perisher close to Canberra. And so It was a a weekend of facilitation where we were doing (laughs) everything, kind of doing everything. Where do we go? Where do we eat? What do we do? And when you're... Lots of mental load. Yes. And when you're sort of dealing with people, like, you sort of forget how not into skiing. Because, like, for us, we never really... We never really, like, uh, how much we enjoyed skiing kind of slowly built... And then Mm -hmm. we're sort of just in in confronted with the reality of like other people who aren't really into skiing and who aren't into getting value for money out of their ski weekend. Mm. Um, Even though we've got a season pass and are getting like a paying like next to nothing per day by how much we ski, it's it's still like we must. So it's been just an interesting experience of, of talking to a lot of people facilitating lots of things.
1: Mm. Yeah, Sounds like lots of, uh, lots of energy spent.
0: Yes. Well, that and I'm physically like, I struggle to get up and out of a chair.
1: Yeah. Are you going to be okay being upright today while we chat? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've got, I've got the boom arm, remember. So if I need to lie down, I can just like, just.
1: Oh, (laughs) we should really explore that. You let me know. (laughs) Keep me looped on how you're going.
0: Well. I hate to break, like, is it, this is the fourth wall, right? We do have notes on a screen, like little, like reminders and like lying on the ground is not, it's not conducive. Then you just get like a, you you get unfiltered, Alex. You'll just get me just like, just stream of consciousness, <laughs> which is, then I've got to facilitate more because then I have to edit it later.
1: I think this is shaping up for that episode 10 we talk about where we've got Alex lying on the floor, playing your uh your meaningful music as an intro and an outro this is really shaping up to be something please listeners hang around till episode 10 it's
0: gonna be (laughs) the special edition
1: (laughs) alex um that's really interesting i'm 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 curious how the chat's gonna go (laughs) with us coming from Different spaces. I might have a little bit of verbal diarrhea. I might need to just pull myself back a little bit. Oh well, yeah, having not had many meaningful conversations in the past two days.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I'm ready for a really meaningful conversation about the topics. I guess none of none of my friends are in healthcare that I went away with. So okay. they're all law and finance. <laughs> okay, <laughs> talking that corporate life. Gotcha. So, gotcha. I think You're I'm ready right, for so... it, but I'm also ready for not facilitating a discussion, which I think is what, out of the two of us, I'm more of that person. Yeah. Mm, so that's going to be interesting. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll keep that in mind. Um,
1: Did you want to, do you want me to start on my reflection from last discussion or would you like to go first?
0: Uh, I think I'm happy to start. Okay. Because Because last time I think I had a really interesting, I guess in reflection, I'm noticing lots of changes because I guess what we've talked about before, and I think not, maybe not on the podcast, I can't, I can't remember, but the way I approach things is a very cognitive based solutions, very cognitive in terms of having like thinking about solutions and, and problems in, in very practical, more practical sort of ways. And Mm -hmm you're very different in the sense that you, you bring what more of that embodied process of what's, what's in between. So not, not so much about thinking about what's, what's the problem to be solved, but how the problem makes us feel and how that, how that then impacts what, what we do and that sort of, so that sort of Mm -hmm. space in between. And I, I'm finding I'm after the chat about therapeutic alliance and, all of the things that I've been doing, and then you always just took it that one step further of it's not just what we say, it's that space in between. And and I've had a few conversations with people about this. Um, I had a chat with with mm-hmm. Shelly Barlow, for example, and you know, just talking and, and also just experiencing someone who's paying attention to that space in between. I know it's something that I'm thinking a lot more about in my clinical practice and specifically about how I interact. I'm thinking about when faced with challenges, my, my usual solution is jump up, get into it, like find the solution, find the thing mm. and start doing it very, very action oriented, very cognitive in that sense. And, and sometimes that might not be what people need. Sometimes it might be what people need, but not paying attention mm. to that space in between and how that sort of reaction I make people feel means I'm losing that. So I'm paying much more attention. And and sometimes it's going to be a case of when some people are in a really difficult space, it can just be about sitting and being calm. I guess I I don't want to devalue it or, or put it down, but like, I think when we think about I'm just thinking about like a lovable Labrador sitting in the corner. Like when you're in a room with just like just a Labrador that's just sitting there, that's really calm. Like it is a calming experience to just have like mm. just just uh, presence in in the room. I'm pretty sure there's some yeah. some studies about this, and I guess that's what I'm feeling of my reflection. What I want to cultivate is is more of that. Thinking about that and and thinking about how that might impact my patients. Yeah. Definitely uh, Pets
1: for Co-Regulation. Lots of work out there around that. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's a really cool reflection, Alex, and I think I'll just mention um, Shelley's work because people might be wondering who she is. Um, she's done a beautiful PhD, a phenomenological approach, inquiring into the physiotherapist's experience of working with people with chronic pain, um, which is a really interesting kind of turning the mirror around um, and exploring the difficulties that the practitioners face in in these sort of uncertain and un, sometimes uncharted waters dealing with, with chronic pain. Um, but, yeah, my I think that's a really, really great reflection to be able to bring into the space um, because of what we're going to chat about today. Um, and I think what comes up for me when you reflect on your experience is is really my experience of having these conversations with you another health professional in in the field because it really shows me how these conversations allow me to express sort of things that are going through my mind and things that I'm doing in my practice and the way that you're meeting them with curiosity and with interest and, you know, um, bracketing or parking your judgment and, and just being open and and willing to kind of meet me where I am, um, it how that has such an impact on my day-to-day practice in, in with clients. Because um, you know, before having these conversations, I was sort of feeling a bit isolated and was kind of doing the work I was doing, but I was there was part of me that was afraid to actually kind of bring it back to the physio profession because I thought I might be. Um, judged or, um, you know, people might not be curious. Um, so for me, there's real been a real meaningful, powerful shift in being able to have these conversations um, with you. And, you know, I end up using all the things that we talk about, um, you know, more confidently or just more reassured in myself in talking with patients. Um, and that's going to have, a, have an impact for them and then the work that we do together. Um, and also talking about these things brings them and puts them front of mind. So like you said, you know, you're more aware going into into um, sessions with people. Um, I'm the same. You know, with that conversation running around in my head, I, I turn up and I've got that intentional practice that I want to put into place. Um, so that for me has been, again, just kind of reaffirms how how important these conversations are for me. Um, and it's lovely to hear how they're, they're important for you.
0: Hmm. I think when we were, we were talking about this earlier, it, it just, it makes sense and, and why conversations can be so so powerful is that if we're not talking, exploring, we're not thinking, we're not, and everything's front of mind. It becomes really, really difficult to walk into a console and be like, so I'm going to do this now. And I've not thought about it. I've not talked about it. I've not done anything with it. I'm just going to do it. Mm. and then it doesn't go well. And then it's, well, I guess kind of think it's, it's of, of course. But yeah, that, that mm. side of conversations, which I don't think we value enough in healthcare, can be the thing that really, really changes, changes practice uh, in, in more powerful ways because yeah, we might go and learn something from a course. But it's going to be then that exploration after it talking with people, Mm. how do we take this and then put it in our own practice? How do we get confident giving it a crack? How do we talk about other people who are having a, with other people who are having a crack and it's not going well? I just Mm. see so much, so much power in that.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So today what we want to talk about, Alex, is this concept of meeting our patients where they are which comes with a few different layers that we're going to explore today. And I just thought I'd, I'd ask you, you know, where you sit with that at the moment or, or what your thoughts are.
0: Yeah, I think so for, for, for people who, I mean, everyone's probably who's listening to this podcast has probably heard of this, but to sort of recap what we're talking about, meeting them where they are is this movement, this, um, concept. I, I know you you've likened it to the the idea of when everyone was talking about or oh, what's their story. So a movement like that where the idea is that we are not just taking our patients on a journey with us and co- or trying to pull them along with us. We're understanding where they, they are at at this moment with their understanding of their condition, uh, their health, overall health literacy, where they are you know, with their support network, taking into account all of this understanding of, of them as a person and understanding where they're at on their healthcare journey – and then anchoring ourselves at that point. And so if when someone comes in to the clinic, we're not just, okay, you know, you've got neostearthritis, osteoarthritis, we've got this new understanding of knee he here, here, here's what we're going to do. Because patients will often get quite lost. They're They're anchored in this, uh, understanding with their uh, health literacy, with their social uh, messaging from the internet, from family and friends, and the idea is that we're yeah we're not just railroading them with information. We're we're meeting them where they where they are with their understanding and and going from from there. Hmm. The why when we were talking about why we wanted to do this topic and why it was uh, I think quite meaningful for us to, for us to talk about it was because. Not, not be so much because of meeting them where they are is, is, is an issue. I think we both fundamentally agree with the concept, but the concept itself Mm. doesn't extend itself beyond, okay, we've met them where they are, or we understand where they are. Where do we go from there? Mm. So, you know, what we, what we see is a lot of people, uh, and ourselves included, uh, when we first started applying this, going, okay, here's where they are, here's their understanding, here's what they want to do, their agenda for today, let's follow that. And we often took them on our own journeys or took, took went from that point that point and went really hard in a direction that they potentially weren't ready for, or there's this, there's often these discussions online as well about, well, do we just do what the patient, Thinks what their agenda is. Do we, do we do what we know we should be doing? There's a lot of difficulty around this this sort of.
1: Mm, it's tricky. Hmm. It's not. It's not straightforward. I think is what we're hearing is that it's, it's not black or white. Um, it's not them nor us. And and perhaps what I'm hearing in your words is, you know, the the word agenda, and perhaps you know it's been portrayed as a bit of a dirty word in the past, but maybe today we can. We can like just become mindful of it, or kind of pull out what are what are some agendas, or mm. um, what might we be trying to do, or what might we've been trying to do in the past, and kind of didn't know that's what we were doing. Can we be curious about this word, and actually curious from a point of view where we kind of put them on the table and kind of see what what it, what are our patients' agendas, and perhaps what are ours, and how are they meeting in the middle, or how can we work with them, and and like you said you know, being aware that we have historically wanted to direct treatment mm. because we hold the knowledge um, and, and understanding that we're getting a, a, a better, um, not just better view, but also like it's backed by research and, you know, we've got m- multiple, um, I suppose, world views to consider um, and, and contexts. Um, that includes both the patient and ours. So I think it makes sense to kind of, well, let's talk about this stuff and let's actually, let's not, not judge our agendas. Let's just be curious about them and understand like, where might they be coming from? Or um, I think we mentioned in our, in our last podcast a little bit about, um, you know, attaching our identity to our success and that framed as, you know, pain, minimizing someone's pain or making it, you know, go away or, or getting someone full function. Um, and this idea that perhaps, you know, what happens if we don't have success in that, in that way, mm. does that mean that we're, you know, our, our role as health professionals is, is not useful or, you know, we're not doing a good job or, you know, if we haven't fulfilled our agenda of X, Y, Z. Well,
0: that that's really what, when we were, we're talking about this, this topic, why it sort of came up is that is this concept of agenda that we can meet someone where where they are currently. But the direction that we go in is whose agenda are we going to going to follow? Is it mm. we've got an we've got an agenda which is we want to try and get that person better and there's a lot of assumptions in that. We talked about you, as you said, you've talked about success, what is our idea of success? What is the mm. patient's version of success? Mm. But it's interesting because the more that we talk about agenda. So we know we've labelled this episode, you know, meeting them where they are, but really the the subtext really that comes into it is agenda is, well, what is the patient's agenda that they're presenting with? I am here mm-hmm. today for, I, I want to fix X treatment. But then what is their agenda underneath? It's often that that case of, you know, we talk about the, what's the patient telling us that they want done, but what's the, what's the thing behind it? Oh, I need to fix my knee pain. Why do you need to fix your knee pain? Oh, because I want to play with my kids. There's, a, there's an agenda behind that. Mm. And there's so much to take into account because the more that we keep drilling down, there's the things that the, that the patient will tell us. There's the, pe- mm. there's the things that are nonverbal that are present. There's things that they won't tell us. Mm. There's also this question of what change are they ready for? And that's that, that crux point that, that, that we're talking about where, what, what their agenda is, what our agenda is, where do they, where do they meet a patient's Mm. agenda might be, well, I'm here for a massage, I'm here because I think that's going to help. And there's a question of, well, what we know from our knowledge is that that might not be the most effective treatment for them Mm. at that stage, how do we navigate? You know, are we just giving in to their agenda? Are we just following ours? How are we meeting? There's, there's so much.
1: There's a lot. Mm. And I think what comes up um, for me when I think about this um, is sort of about meeting what's in the room, like you said, both verbally and non verbally, but kind of you get that sense, you know, like you can. I just had someone then who popped in and, and, you know, I think they wanted hands-on, really. I think they wanted some some input. And then, as we were kind of discussing about what we were going to kind of um, use the time for, um, there a lot of a lot of sadness and grief came out that I just met in the room, you know, and it was really interesting because and she still didn't didn't really want to verbally acknowledge it, but but being able to be there with with what was coming out in the moment. Um, was really interesting because it was in complete contrast to what she was saying. Um, so it's like she she wanted to hurry up and get on with treatment, but the energy in the room was like kind of saying, "I I want to stay here and 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 acknowledge this." Um, and I, you know, that that for me, I was just thinking about what would I have done with that when I was you know ten years ago as a physio, um, and I probably would have ignored the sadness and the grief and the tears, um, or not known what to do with them and probably just followed her agenda of like, Oh, let's get on the bed and let's, let's do the treatment, you know, hurry it along. Um, and this time I kind of, you know, I didn't, I, I, we acknowledged we sat in it for a little bit. I still, we still did some hands on in the end, but it came after we kind of met, um, the energy in the room or what was really kind of presenting right in the moment. Um,
0: there's always a split there what what the the patient's saying that what their their belief is around what they need and what what is actually going on and what they're feeling and experiencing
1: and their their were yeah their words were not matching what they what they kind of wanted it was kind of a really interesting moment i was a bit confused uh, and we sat in that confusion um but yeah it was it was palpable um And I just, yeah, I was reflecting on the way home um, to get ready for this chat, just going, whoa, I would have dealt with that really differently 10 years ago because I wouldn't have known how to kind of bring both verbal and nonverbal into the room. I would have been just like, well, let's just go with the verbal because that's what they're asking for. Um, So I suppose that point for me around kind of um, being able to see the whole picture um, and pick up on other things that might be going on that, like you said in the the intro, like that are a bit more layered or might not be in their direct words and what we do with that. And that's, again, we're meeting, we're meeting them where they are in this really interesting space.
0: There's an interesting thing about there about what you talked about earlier about success Mm. and what is a successful consultation? What is a successful treatment? What is a successful uh, overall management plan? And I'm interested for you to talk a bit more about that, maybe in, in this specific case on because if you had an expectation, because that's what it is, like an expectation on yourself to have be successful, to have some meaningful pain related change or a meaningful convo, uh, consultation so they left with, mm-hmm. with something that mm-hmm. was going to fix them, how that's different from from now and, and, and how, that, how you've changed your perspective to be able to be more comfortable.
1: Hmm. Oh, it's a big question. But I think when I think back to former me is I probably would have been quite okay to acknowledge the emotions in the room, but I would have thought that's not my job. You know, that classic sort of like, no, that's not in, that's not my role. So they're here. I'm very aware of them, but you know, my success or my um, role here is to treat them and to help them in this physical way. Um so I think in a way, perhaps in the end, I would have seen success as um, making sure I met what they came in for, putting my hands on, you know, increasing movement range or decreasing pain um, and making sure that I didn't actually go where I wasn't allowed, in inverted commas. So I think that for me, there was probably a real fear around um, exploring what was showing up in the room. Um, And then I think today it was really interesting. Um, She very much didn't want to go into it. So I didn't force that at all. But, you know, I think I said something like, it's okay for your tears to be here Um, and just acknowledged that they were welcome in the room. Um, And then just said something like having a bit of a tough time, huh? Like, you know, just contacted that, that experience for her. Um, And then maybe we had some silence and I didn't, you know, I'm, I'm happily, I'd happily sit in that space these days. Um, we can talk about um, the process of, of getting there a bit later, if you like. But, um, but, but also what happened in that moment was just, you saw her kind of drop into herself a little bit. Um, and in that moment, I think for me, success there is bringing the wholeness into the room, is not fragmenting her and not saying, well, that's not welcome here because that's not my job. And again, like I said, I didn't I didn't go down like a... I think she even said, oh, sorry for crying. This is not a counselling session. That's what she said. And I said, no, this is not a counselling session, but they're welcome here. And then I think she stepped into a little bit more about what was causing her her um, tears for today. And that was lovely information to have and to hold as the context to understand that's where she is at the moment. And from there, we had some beautiful... just slowed her down again because she came in quite agitated. Um... And reaffirmed that, you know, yes, this is not, um, we don't have to go into this, but it it does form part of our our consultation about what we're going to do with your pain and your, um, you know, your body and getting moving. Um, And then, you know, where we did go after that as a way to kind of keep it, um, I suppose, still meeting her and her need to have a plan and do something, which is what she asked for. Um, we did create a really meaningful plan based on her values and her interests, um, around running and yoga and um, building some some strength work into her life. Um, but we came at it from this point of view of um, what was what was important to her, which came from what she shared with me.
0: It's really interesting because, like, the thing that I that I stood out to me most was the patient saying, well, this isn't a counseling session, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: which is so interesting because it's something that we hear all the time from MSK practitioners where it's like, well, this is not counseling. This is the physical work. We should be doing the treatment, the the stuff. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: But it's interesting because if we're going to be holistic, holistic in air quotes, um, what we're talking about is experience people's experience of pain, people's experience of recovery, people's experience of confusion, of which is going to be a direct influence on their behavior. Their behavior Mm -hmm. being, are they going to follow through on the treatment? What happens when they experience pain? Are they going to do things that ultimately we know are going to be not helpful on their recovery? Mm -hmm. We think like they're going to be more fear avoidant. Of, or are they going to try and avoid experiencing pain or are they going to keep pushing through? Are they going to listen to their body? Are they going to, um, you know, ignore their body and their sensations and just keep pushing? All of these things are there. Mm-hmm. And if we're not, and I, I guess I go back to using the, the framework where I, I come from, which is, you know, we're not dealing with distress where we're working alongside it. So I think that's probably the good thing to say for people is that, you know, this isn't a counselling session because, you know, and whatever we're doing is not actually counselling because it's not dealing with the distress. We're not there to to actually work on and say, you are distressed and this is how we're going to fix it. It's saying we can be here with this distress. We can have this distress in the room. It can show up. We can acknowledge it. We can name it. We can talk about it. And then we're going to see what we can do alongside where that distress, that distress is, the, the movement, the talking about running, the, all, all the things that you can do to help them get back to, to um, what is, a, you know, living a meaningful life and what is, what is meaningful for them without actually dealing with that, with that distress in a very specific way, like, like a psychologist, which I think is that, that fear.
1: Yeah, I think, I, you know, I'm going to maybe disagree a little bit with you here in mm-hmm. that okay. I, I think um, I think your beautiful words of saying, you know, it's welcome and we're alongside it. I think that is, um, I don't want to say dealing with it, because I think that's that's the real patient-centered careness, though, is that we are in there with them, sitting down next to their distress and hanging out, you know, you know remembering our own. And it's being with them in that sort of um, collaborative but also meaningfully, um, you know, being seen or, or having it in the room or understanding that it's part of it, part of our, our our plan or our whole. I think that is the most important part. We can problem solve it away, sure. That's that, you know, bringing in our left brain that really wants to problem solve. But I think the really important part here is... The letting it be there, and the the quite sounds like you've been quite you know quite visibly naming it and, and bringing it in. That's powerful. I'd say that's potentially more powerful than the 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 problem solving of it.
0: I'm I'm wondering where we disagree.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Will you? Well, I think it's a disagreeing of um, more maybe how you're framing it. I feel like you're framing it in a way where it's like. Because we're not problem solving it away where therefore it's not, we're not being counsellors. Maybe this is a labelling thing, but mm. I feel like there's maybe part of your, part of how you're speaking is like you're, I'm not dismissing, it's not dismissive Alex, but it's like, I, I feel like I want to give us more, it's, it's powerful what we can do.
0: You, you, you worry, I can see exactly what's happening. Where you're worried, there's a, blur, there's a, blur, there's a blurry line there in terms of what is dealing mm. with something psychologically mm. as a treatment, and really what we're trying to do, which is, if we, if we name something, we validate that it's a normal experience, that it's that is understandable, that it's that it's welcome. Things that aren't often done uh, mm. in in a, in a in a MSK setting, um, it might not be done at home. Might not be done at work, mm-hmm. so we create a space for someone and say, "You are welcome here. All of your emotions are welcome here. Everything here is is this is this is this is a safe space for you." We validate it, and we work alongside it. Is in you know we're not saying, "Well, here's how we're going to give you. We're going to give you these psychological treatments that are going to mm. directly work on this." No, we're just being there. That is still technically, in a way, a treatment. For or a management where we're not yes. working directly on it, we're not engaging in the field, but it's this idea of psychology is not is not a defined exact field. or Everything that we do is is psychology. Mm. You go to a store, there's a price. You go to a you know, you go to talk to your friends, and they're telling you about a horrible experience they've had. They're telling you about a good experience that they've had. Everything is affecting us mentally, like it's all part of us. And I think, yeah, there's that that murky bit where it becomes a delineation where, where, where psychology itself is what we think about it is like a field. It was a framework about how we can understand how the human mind works. And when we're practicing psychology, we are using that understanding to try and make a change. It's sort of, that's how I think about it. And I think, yeah, there's that blurry line of, because everything we do is going to be impacting their psychology. And I guess it's, it's, when we acknowledge that, we can also acknowledge of how we can do things Mm -hmm. in a way that's going to have the least negative outcome, possibly a positive, Yes. but sitting the and so sitting with their distress, acknowledging it, validating it, like none of those things are, I see a way as a psychological treatment from the perspective of, uh, I'm thinking APRA, I'm thinking what our Mm. field is but we can still do those things and say that they're, it's welcome and create a space and they can be powerful. And then that's where we, I think where we lead into with our treatments mm. from a musculoskeletal and, perspective.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think when I was, I was chatting away about that case, I didn't really answer your question that was about what might be successful now for me mm. in that, in that space. And I think, um, for me, at the moment, it's. It, I'm sure it'll it'll evolve. But at the moment, it's it's showing up um, in my wholeness to welcome them, and listening for like um, the verbals and the nonverbals, but meeting what's in the room um, as best I can, um, and naming and acknowledging, and then being able to move into a plan that does take into account, you know. What they've arrived wanting that for for that for that session in the day, and then being really aware of what I want, and being able to um, kind of um, nuance it or, or really understand or or just um, be aware of 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 what I want to get out of the session as well, and making sure that that doesn't take over, or you know, being really aware of when I do bring in my my body knowledge or my, um, you know, exercise based knowledge. Um, I think that, that for me is successful as kind of being really, really honest with myself around what's going on in the room and how we create that plan together or that sit in that session together.
0: It's, it's, inter- it's interesting because what you're defining as a successful consultation seems like it's a lot more around how you interact with the patient and going, this patient's here, it's come in with with an issue and and the successful consultation is being able to look at them as a whole person, take in them as a whole person, not understand their agenda, understand what is going to be the most helpful for them with everything that's happening and making Mm -hmm. sure that you are not letting some of your thoughts feelings, emotions, things that are happening around and things that that I guess would probably better if we contrast this with another, uh, another idea of success, but bringing Mm -hmm. in stuff that might distract. So I'm thinking about maybe like when we, when we look at what is a successful consultation, commonly it's, oh, I got to get a pain reduction. I've got to have Mm -hmm. a, have a 14 step plan. I've got to, um, you know, provide these treatments. In contrast, like a successful consultation, and this is sort of where meeting them where they are with sort of lacks. is this, well, what is, we've met them where they are, where are they, where are we going from here? What is success from that, that point on? And understanding someone's maybe in a space where they don't understand exactly what's going on, they have a not so great understanding of what's going on. There's lots of distress and lots of other things going on. And then we go, great, they're here. How do we get them to our success point, mm. our success point on our agenda, which is we have to get them, like I think, you know, plantar heel hill pain or if someone comes in with plantar heel hill pain, oh, the successful thing is to convince them to get into orthotics because that's, mm. that's the, the thing that is the most effective, the, the thing that, that I've seen to be most effective. So that's, that's the agenda mm. and bringing that in derails the, or, or, or even if where they are now, great, we want to get them where they are, well, where are they? where do they want to go? What's important to them? What helps them in their life with what's going on? And that might not always match our agenda where, yeah, contrastingly you were like, well, how do I meet that and use all my knowledge to get, to take them on that journey that they, that they need to go on, that they understand is, is the best for them, that works mm-hmm. best in their life.
1: Yeah. When, um, I'm curious what's coming up for me as a question for you around when you might've been actually aware that you had an agenda. Like from that place of like, um, it becoming, oh, I, I do want to put people in orthotics. or I really want to get them strong. Um,
0: Hmm. it's interesting because when you're asking a question like that, it's, I think we already sort of know that we have, I think there's probably two parts. There's when you know mm-hmm. there's an agenda and when you know then it's impacting treatment or when you think that it's impacting treatment in a negative way. Mm-hmm. I think to a, to a certain degree, we all know we have an agenda. We have to get that patient in. We have to get that patient out. We've got a set period of time. We've got a series of treatments available and mm-hmm. the goal of most private businesses where at least you know, in Australia, most of us work in private businesses and are are paid or, or compensated on treatments provided. We have, a, so there there is naturally in built all of these agendas in terms of mm. what we what what we're trying to do. There's the agenda of in terms of there's some of the things that are maybe a bit more silent. Our agendas are going to be based upon what skills that we have. You mm. know, if we don't if we don't have the skill to do something, and we or we don't acknowledge that that we're that we're we're Um, only treating with those, those skills, there's, there's the component of that. When do we realize that that's impacting us? So I guess there's not really a, a point in time. I guess it's more just been slowly over the years, acknowledging when someone comes in, what I've been thinking Mm -hmm. and what I've been identifying over the time that might be impacting where, where we go. And I guess it, it still sort of happens a lot where we, where I still think of their patients and we, they, they mention something or they bring something up or they, they, they're heading in one direction. I go, great, I really want to talk about this now because I think this is going to be really helpful for you. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of where we go back to meeting them where they are because there's not, we got to consider, is that the most effective thing for them? Is that the best thing for them in, in that moment? Is that what they're ready for? And in some cases, yes, they're ready to be challenged on that. They're ready to hear some bits of information. Maybe they're that's going to be really good for them. But in a lot of cases, we're not. What I've been slowly doing over over time is realizing more and more when that's coming up and just becoming more purposeful when I'm going to do something. So rather than it being case of this person has Achilles tendinopathy, we're going to give them calf raises. That's that's my agenda because that's the most effective effective treatment mm. or, or the, the the most one in RCTs, the, 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 the one that's most recommended. Well, that's, that's what we're going to do.
1: So what do you think you do a bit differently now? Like, because that would still be, you know, one of your tools or treatments is going mm. to be calf raises for that condition. How do you, what do you do now that kind of is a little bit nuanced?
0: I think it's, it's, Trying to—it's very similar to your approach, and very similar to where you're at um, now, which is just what is get being again acknowledging everything that's there—is mm-hmm. probably the the point. So a good example is that a patient come in oh, last week, first first thing in the morning, and just had so much going on, just so 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 much from the perspective of. Um, you know, hypermobility, um, fibromyalgia, um, but potentially another rheum- rheumatological uh, condition. A history of, of, uh, and a current sort of. Actually, um, as we started to unravel and and talk more, we discovered more and more layers. You know, so there is a radiculopathy present as well. That might be interacting, might not. It is going up. It is going down. Um, you know, all of this sort of stuff hasn't been. Diagnosed or acknowledged, if anything, ignored. Mm. Since they were seventeen years old, they're now uh, in their forties, wow. and yeah, there's just a lot, a lot, lot going on, and the difference now. And so, so they came in with a very specific agenda, which was, I'm here for, for footwear advice. I'm here for advice around specifically what I'm going to do because I've got a referral to an exercise physiologist. I've got a referral to, to a physiotherapist. I'm here to figure out what I could do to get things right so I can go to that, that next step. Mm-hmm. And what was, what was very different about that type of consultation is you is usually exactly what, what you said before. I usually just go, okay, great. So what are we going to do? What's the shoes? What's the this? What's the that? It was more about taking into account everything that was going on and what that patient was going to be ready for. And so, you know, when we talked about it more, you know, the biggest issue with her Achilles wasn't actually physical activity at that point. It was the fact that she also physically couldn't wear most shoes because it was an insertional Achilles, it was rubbing on the back and she had a terrible time finding shoes. And so when, you know, we could have talked about exercise, we could have talked about heel lifts, we could have talked about, um, you know, done all of these sort of other things, but there was a lot of it was acknowledging cause she, she literally booked in the appointment. It was less than 24 hours after she'd gotten all of these diagnoses confirmed and a plan created. So she hadn't really had a lot of time to settle in. Um, I'm I'm about to go away on, on holiday. So she was like, i got to get in, got to get in as quickly as I can to see, to see Alex before, before he goes away. And so yeah, there wasn't that time, so there was still a lot of messiness in the thought process. There was a lot of trying to make sense, and so yeah. where I was felt like I was a lot different as to what I was in the past was being able to acknowledge all of that. That was that was in the room, the distress. The there was a lot of talking back, going back to this is what's happened in the past. This is what's been ignored. Um, this is what I've been experiencing for a long time. These are the patterns of behaviour that I've that I've worked around because I haven't had medication to help control body pains. Hmm. So I've been, I've been working very, you know, differently and creating a self-management, which in some cases was positive, some cases was less positive, you know, Hmm. for, for what she wanted to achieve, her goals of continuing movement. So we still did a lot of specific treatment, we still created a specific plan, but it was, we spent the time being much more constructive, meeting that patient where I think she was, which was needing that, that validation, Mm -hmm. acknowledging that, yeah, you've just had 30 years of symptoms and they were ignored Mm. and that's traumatic that then you've got all these behaviours and processes, which rehab is going to help you sift and, 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 and maybe create behaviour, some behaviour change around what's going to be things that are helpful that are not, acknowledging that, hmm. and then spending the time talking about the things that are going to be the most helpful for her. So she was not, well. We also had a number of, you know, we have hypermobility and perineal tendinopathy and looking at that and going, foot orthoses are going to be something that are probably going to be very helpful, but her primary issue, the biggest barrier at that point was posterior um, heel pain, the, the enthesopathy, rubbing on a shoe, that was her biggest barrier to exercising and moving. She was open to foot orthoses potentially in the future if they were going to be something helpful, but she knew she needed to get moving and she was really struggling with shoes. So we spent mm. the time talking about shoes, how we could modify them, what we could do, um, what, what are the different designs? How are we going to balance? Because most really supportive shoes for a hyper-mo- for hypermobile feet, we're going to have really big heel counter cushions. So how are we going to balance getting something that is potentially less supportive? flatter, uh, that's going to help her. That's still not going to aggravate the, the actual enthesopathy, enthesopathy itself by being a really flat, unsupportive shoe, what's going to impact a perineal tendinopathy. So it was a really, it was a lot of, it was a very different consultation than I would have thought going in, which was, here's your orthotics, here's your heel raises, here's your footwear script, off you go. And there was the door open, mm. she knows the door's open. And we've left that open to say, start here, start with the exercise Mm. and movement. I'm going to send a letter. We're going to, we have a plan for, we've got so much more to explore, but I, I want to make the the biggest impact on your life. And what was clear was if she can't wear a pair of shoes, that's going to be poor.
1: And I think what I love about you telling that story and kind of walking your way through it is that, that naming process and that acknowledging of her past, and when she mentions it, to be able to kind of meet that and not brush over it or, or you know, not meet it or not, not acknowledge it, but kind of that taking that time to, in those moments, and it might not be long, it might just be a little bit more time spent around that comment or, you know, slowing your body down and, and and saying that's this is this has been a long time coming, and this is a big change, you know. And and being able to actually be with her in that moment, because yeah, like you said, the day before she probably hasn't processed it much. You're potentially the first person that's processing it with her. That first step, you know, what what a difference that is to just meeting her. Going, yep, you're here for a um, shoe update, right? I'll run you through your options. See you later. You know, it's it's really different.
0: I'm thinking about success going back to that mm. point. And this is, this is really the crux. We, we said the, the point was about agenda. The, well, that was the real sort of point behind this, but uh, you know, the point behind that is going to be success. What is success? Mm. And it's interesting because when I see a lot of what we're doing RCT wise, you know, and pushing people and saying, this is what you need to do with them. This is the, the diagnosis. Then this is the treatment. There's a mm. really neoliberal economic um, presence in, in that sort of push. What we're, yeah. what, what essentially we're doing is we're saying, how do we provide the most value quote unquote? And with a, with this, why I say it's a neoliberal process is because it's the idea of we can put value on something mm-hmm. that we are going to try and organize and be the most valuable and being the most valuable is a really a brown, you know, Really, how do we get to the end being the cheapest that we can for them?
1: Mm.
0: How do we provide the most treatment in the, in the, in the least amount of, of um, sessions, which is a good sort of focus on, on trying to be overall if for thinking about the medical system as a whole, how do we deliver more care for less dollars? How do we get more outcomes without maybe spending more or spending less? That's a great outcome, but for a, for a patient in a, in a room where they come in, they're not there as a, as a consumer of, okay, I'm here to get the most out of this session. I'm here to, to, to get all the different things. And I think that's potentially the, the mistake that we make when someone comes in and they leave unsatisfied, they're like, oh, I didn't get any X or I didn't get any Y or I, I didn't, I didn't get enough out of that session. I feel like I paid a lot of money and then I didn't get that point. And I guess that, that goes back to that definition of success is, We've got to live my, my thought is how do I leave that person in a more positive space than they were with a plan with, with moving out and so much of that we can't value, which is going to be, you know, if someone leaves a consult feeling really nice and happy, they go, I was validated. I feel like I'm not going crazy. I've got this plan. I've got these things. It becomes really tricky because how do we value that there's so much subjectiveness, Mm. but the other side of it is I think if we focus too much on providing services and being valuable in that sense, or providing them value with, I gave them massage and an exercise program and some heel lifts and a footwear script and a this and a that. And we did that all in one session someone can still leave really unhappy because they've gotten all of this, but they kind of go, but did I really get out of it? What I want? Did I leave feeling like I'm on the right path? Or can they actually Mm. leave as well feeling ignored? that someone just worked on them and they paid all this money to have stuff done to them. Like it's really, really messy.
1: It is. And I think part of that messiness is the, you know, like we come back, circle back to the, the start of the patient's agenda is, you know, we have lots of people who are in that mindset that the more they have done to them, that is more successful. You know, this comes into pain and persistent pain beliefs around i need something to be done to me or i'm not doing something enough or i should you know like these these um beliefs that can sometimes take people away from their kind of locus of control if you like or their kind of paying attention to what they need or what they think like your patient like she knew she needed it was about the shoes like she did know that as her first step um you know, so I think, I think it's interesting when we're, we're meeting these people, we kind of also have to understand that they are a product of our environment and and the, the larger healthcare world that does continually push these messages. Um, so I think it, it kind of layers again to really meeting someone where they are in their beliefs around pain or exercise or their body. You know, the lady I, I spoke about earlier, um, one thing that came up about halfway in when we would Kind of whiteboarding meaningful goals was around um, her, you know, her her mothers and her grandmothers' view on women's bodies, which is is feeds directly into diet culture and um, uh, beliefs around obesity. You know, and, and so meeting these these were these were part of her story, and they kept popping out, and so you know meeting them there I, I asked a question about them and just kind of put it on the board as in you know this might be something that's actually impacting how you talk about yourself as being lazy when you don't do exercise you know which is again another and how she actually doesn't like her body much and covers it up a lot when she exercises you know so it was really interesting how kind of understanding she's embedded in her context and her um, her intergenerational beliefs. We know that we learn pain, like even just that that sense of like how we're um, met by our carers and our parents and, and people around our experience and how other people can impact us based on how they interact and, and respond. Like, and that probably that point was probably the biggest point that came out of session when we did our reflection at the end i said you know what's what's landed for you the most today or what's really resonated and she's like the way the way that i relate to my body and how i actually want to start being a bit more gentle um and that was the word she used was was gentle she hadn't she doesn't we can't you know she doesn't want to switch to just be in love with it when she hates it but she could sense that there was this need to start to relate to it differently. Um,
0: it's so interesting because that what you're, that patient came in with an idea of what she was going to get. Mm. I came in with an idea of, this is what I have to do. I have to kind of fight my body and I have to push it into place. And what you're charging for at the end of it, what the consultation you're providing and, the, and the, what they're paying for i making that very, um, prominent because this is where mm. the messiness comes in is mm. for you to take that and be like, actually, we're going to go this way. Actually, you know, we, there's actually something else going on here that we're not here to whip your body into shape. We're actually here and we've got to acknowledge these things. And it's sort of almost then you're inviting in that process by acknowledging and naming and, and bringing up those things to the surface, mm. inviting, that person to, to see if that's something that they want to explore, change, inviting to see if that makes sense, inviting that, that change of behavior in, in, in the future, yeah. Which is then, is that, you know, what the patient, you know, no patient's really going to come in and go, you know what I need? I need a reconceptualization of why I think about pain and my body. So <laughs> what well, I'm going to pay for.
1: But I, I think, I think lovely. Imagine if we could put a sign up there. Do you want to reconceptualize your <laughs> understanding of pain? <laughs> but I think, no, I put uh, something popped into my brain just then. I think it comes back to um uh, it may be part of the our agenda stuff, but we know from the research that pain beliefs impact people's subjectivities and how they engage and, and behavior change. Again, doing air quotes, you know. Um, so if we, if we kind of take the view that, that our agenda is to change people's behaviour, um, but it's like, how are we meeting that? How, if we don't want to force it from that sort of, again, that neoliberal sort of push, um, how can we then create an environment for change to be invited whilst, um, understanding that things like pain beliefs and and how people do conceptualize their experiences are deeply embedded
0: I had to stop myself there while you were talking when you said that neoliberal focus to like whip them and, and st- I almost had to stop myself from doing like a really bad German accent thing like <laughs> we will <laughs> we will whip your body, no more pain um, well, and
1: Sorry, last bit. Can I say there? Mm-hmm. It was really interesting. When I did do some, um, a little bit of input at the end, she really loves pain. So I just thought that was really interesting as well. And we, and we just, um, we just named it and we acknowledged it. I didn't, she's like, is that bad? And I'm like, no, I'm just really curious. But she was like, oh yeah, that's good. You know? Um, but she'd also talk and talked about having a relationship with a body that was around your lazy you know, you mm. need to be doing more. So I'm just so curious around these little moments around what is her experience of pain? What have her experiences of pain been that's informed how she arrives in the room today? Um,
0: so I'm, I'm, I'm curious now as to how we can, having explored all of this, how we can help people on a journey of, of, moving from this idea of success that, that, that we have, uh, very, I think, rightly started with, which is reduce pain, you know, have all these outcomes. Cause that's, that's what we're taught. You know, that's what we have in studies, outcome measures, outcome measures, outcome measures, mm-hmm. how do we move from that space to sort of one that is more open to other, other ideas of what success is?
1: Well, I think what pops into my head just now, as you said, outcome, 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 um, is that it's going to be scary to, you know, just be told you need to just drop outcome. I think I think outcomes really important. You know, I think we need to hold both. I think we need to be able to understand that um, outcomes are how we have got lots of our research. And, you know, it's how patients say I had a, a great experience. So I think we need to hold that and we need to make space for um, how can we f- maybe be more aware and mindful and kind of intentional around our own stuff and how it enters the room. Um, and maybe it's this this tricky part that you know, I remember ten years ago I was just super afraid. To do something that i didn't have skills for you know so i ignored in a way or kind of dismissed the harder stuff because i didn't i didn't have the skills to do it so there was that real vulnerability for me around i don't know how to treat persistent pain because it doesn't fit into this just do exercises box and that's the one that i know so um you know that was um I, I would have treated lots of people back then, and and kind of invalidated them potentially, in some way, shape, or form, because I didn't have the skill set to to meet all parts of them, or even be able to say, "I don't know," but I'm going to help you find your next step. Um, what are your thoughts?
0: Mm. Oh, I think the biggest, um, I, I should say. I think that's, that's incredibly important, you know, being from what you said, you know, being open to being uncomfortable, Mm. open to not knowing and trying things. And I guess the other thing about it is, is, is sort of part of that is giving up this idea that someone comes to us and is going to get a really structured plan. Sometimes people are going to come to us with that and we kind of go, we don't know. This is what we're going to try and this is how we're going to work. And I think that's that's something that's changed for me a lot where someone comes in and I'm not going to always label their pain and say, I think this is what it is and this is how we're going to treat it. I go, I'm just really not sure. Do you mind if we try a few things? What if we go down this pathway? Just, you know, with this, what's going on? It doesn't completely match. What if we go here and there? And I think one patient that came in that was in, you know, a lot of pain, but we got stuck between two diagnoses and I just said, I'm really not sure. What if we just try a bunch of stuff? What about we try this, we try that. This is how it makes sense. And then you come back and you tell me what's going on and we can, we can figure out what's the most, what, what's the making the most impact. And that was really successful. That was actually really, really helpful for that patient because they came back and they had a lot of clarity Mm. at that point as well about what was what was going on in terms of, cause I went, I went away and I did all these things and I thought about it and I had all these experiences and this is what's happening. And we went, this is what's called, this is what we think is going on. This is where we're going to go. But I think probably the, the biggest sort of, sh- one of the biggest sort of shift is, is learning probably acceptance and commitment therapy. Mm-hmm. That would probably be the one where the, it's, it's a, um, psychological framework, uh, and, and treatment process that doesn't work directly on distress, it's it's a one that's supposed to work alongside it. And it's all, it's the entire goal is, is how do we help people live a meaningful life? And by doing so, it's helping them be more psychologically flexible. So it's just things that how we can talk, how we can approach people in a way that in our conversations that can help them um, Yeah, be more psychologically flexible. So I'm thinking about, you know, contacting the present moment is one of the key things and it's about helping how we can have conversations that, that help people focus on the here and the now rather than living in the future. Oh my God, everything's going to be terrible. Everything's going to be really, really bad or living in the past. Oh my God, I've been, you know, there's been so much going on and I've had all of these problems and you know, oh my God, my body's fragile. It's like, how, how do we contact now? and listen to our body now and focus now on what we're going to do as our next step. And that's not saying we're saying any of those thoughts and feelings of thinking in the future and the past is wrong, but it's, it's bringing into the point of what can we do right now? And what is your body telling you now? And what can we then work on now while we have this space? And that then opens up potentially then opens them up to, okay, we start doing some more exercise, we start pushing our body into places that we thought would be bad because of what we thought's happened in the past or thought would be bad because we're worried about what's going to happen in the future if we exercise and move in this way. Hmm. So I think having a in terms of an upskill that has been incredibly helpful not so much because I've done a lot of work around the like the specific techniques and it's not so much the techniques itself it's more of the the thought process behind them the, that framework that's been probably the most helpful.
1: I think for me, when when you bring up act, um, that that framework as well has kind of been embedded in my practice from that point of view of values and, and meaning, and um, yeah, really, really meeting what's going on in the moment. I think also for me, um, self determination theory was a, a decent theory to start to really um, again bring in bring in these skills. Um, And it really helped when we're also just making plans where you kind of, when I was navigating that space between moving from expert and agenda to shared collaborating, I actually really enjoyed it as a way to kind of um, light the path. Um, So self-determination theory speaks, it's a motivation theory that is about building intrinsic motivation. Um, And it talks about creating conditions that have autonomy, competence and relatedness. So I did this today, who's the lady that I keep talking about. And I sort of said, you know, if we can build these in to your program, we're going to have more of a likelihood or a sustainability towards, you know, intrinsic motivation, especially if we couple them with your values and interests. So, you know, I think that's a lovely way to kind of start because you can say to the patient, like, I need you to have some choice here. It's really important that you choose. And it's really important that you have some sort of relatability to this. So I don't want you doing the exercise that you hate. Like what do you like doing? Or do you like doing it with a friend? Like is that the relatability? or is it um, you know it it reminds me of something important to me in life. you know what what's the what's the relationship there? And then that level of competence, so not you know it sounds really simple, but like not starting someone off on a program that's unrealistic. And they can't actually put into their life or they don't have the capacity for or the strength for, you know, you could put competence into lots of different areas. But it, it just is really lovely when I actually explain it to my patients so they know this is how I'm framing our plan and that I would like to know if we're not meeting those conditions because then our environment changes and we're not building that intention towards the intrinsic motivation. Um, so I love self-determination theory as a, as a, a a theory to kind of scaffold
0: my shift.
1: Yeah. And it felt really sturdy. It felt really reassuring, um, because also motivation from a, from a behavior change point of view, um, you know, that's, we need, we need that, Um, but it also really gave me that sense of, we're creating an environment. It really hit that home again and again. And when you put that into action and you do it with someone and you explain it, like we're doing that, that really takes me back to journey, not outcome Mm -hmm. environment, not telling like, what am I cultivating here?
0: As I think this is a a lovely point to sort of finish up on, because I think, well, when we're thinking about what I'm thinking about what distresses people the most clinicians, the most, or what's, what's one of the things that keep coming up as a real source of, of, of sort of problems in their practice is, you know, you, your patients not, not engaging patients, not following through on plans. Um, this sort of this discordant sort of problem, you know, where, where, you've got a clinician that's not gelling with their patient or patient's not gelling with the clinician. And there's this sort of this clash of, of, of what is in some cases a gender. And what I, what I'd like, you know, when we're reflecting and contrasting or, or, you know, really just combining, you know, these sort of different ideas, they're both self-determination theory, acceptance, commitments, you know, being vulnerable, being open, noticing everything that's in the room, they're all things that help address those major points. They're a re-conceptualization re- on what we think they should need, like clinicians should do. Cause clinicians, you know, we're always taught, go find the next treatment, you know, thing that's going to solve all the problems. Here's the 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 massage technique or the cracky-backy sort of thing that will that will solve all the problems. But a lot of it's going to be about, yeah, how do we scaffold or, or use these frameworks in our practice to address these, these sort of deficits and, and they are upskills because we're not taught these from, from the start and that makes it really, this makes care more, not only more valuable, but also more comfortable.
1: Well, and I think to further add to that point is we can use those frameworks with ourselves and then we can, we can build competence and autonomy and, and our motivation for our, our treatment. And we can, we can turn, act on ourselves and look at our psychological flexibility and our meaningful life and our values. And all of a sudden we're using the same frameworks and applying them in our life, which then, you know, builds beautifully into this nourishing, more valuable and meaningful journey as a practitioner, Mm. um, and I think that's just so important because, like you said, if we haven't learnt these skills or these frameworks, it makes sense why we might not have that experience
0: mm. yet. I think that's a, that's a beautiful place, Dan. I think we'll include some, some links in the podcast as well to, to self-determination theory, acceptance commitment, some, some resources that, that we recommend if people are interested to, to check out. I think it's been a, a really good chat where we're talking with, we've, we've sort of started with this concept of meeting people where they are and really shifted for not, we can meet people where they are, but it's with what we do from there. And I think we've got a lot, we've covered a lot.
1: Well, and I think where we've kind of slightly ended up is maybe meeting ourselves
0: mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah. Well, thank you everyone for, for listening. This has been another Real Clinicians real chats i hope you've enjoyed it as as always you can follow us on social media real clinicians real chats facebook and uh, instagram if you want to get in contact with us you can email us realcliniciansrealchats at gmail.com. if you want to follow kit where kit where they can where can people find you
1: i am wise ways kit on instagram wise physiotherapy on facebook and wisephysiotherapy.com.au
0: if you want to follow me, I'm The Rehab Podiatrist, TheRehabPodiatrist.com uh, and The Rehab Podiatrist on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, unfortunately. we'll okay, that, that will keep coming. But join us uh, next month uh, where we'll be uh, talking about another valuable topic to uh, clinical practice.